Hey everybody, welcome to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Our guest today is Kimmy Fasani, who is a pioneer in women's snowboarding, the mother of two, the wife and partner of Chris Benchetler. She is an author and, among many other things, someone who has been dealing with and documenting a breast cancer diagnosis. So we wanted to check in with Kimmy to talk about how she's doing today, what she has been learning, and what her story can teach us. Kimmy is amazing, and her honesty and openness and willing to share with the rest of us her experience, I think, is a real gift. And so I am very happy to share with you now this conversation with Kimmy Fasani. Here we go. Well, Kimmy, first question for you, where are you today? I am currently down in Oceanside, California. I'm down here uh, just about to start my radiation treatment. Okay. Yeah. Normally, every time I start a podcast conversation, I start with the question, how are you today and where are you today? But I kind of think that a uh, sustained topic of this conversation is going to be the how are you today part. So I figured let's get your location out of the way first, Oceanside. And yeah, you know, a, a part of what I wanted to do here was actually really learn more about how you're doing. So you just said you are about to undergo radiation. Can you tell us a little bit about where you are in this process? I was diagnosed with breast cancer in late November last year, so 2021. And I'm now through chemo. So I had chemo, six rounds of chemotherapy. And then I had a double mastectomy uh, about a month ago. And they gave me about now whatever, five, it will be closer to six weeks from my surgery date to the start of radiation. And then I have six weeks of radiation, five days a week, and then some more things to follow. For some of us, maybe just me, I would have thought of chemo and radiation as being sort of synonymous, right? That, but this is a distinct thing. What, what is the difference? So what happened with my diagnosis was I had actually had a, a lump in my breast while I was breastfeeding. And I waited eight months before I went to the doctor and it uh, ended up going into the skin cells on my right breast. And that became an inflammatory breast cancer, which is somewhat rare, but it's also really aggressive. So because I was diagnosed so late and I was stage three when I was diagnosed, they said, okay, we need to stop the cancer from growing immediately. And that is why I went to chemotherapy first via, I had a port, which is a, a little procedure that places something that um, the drugs go in through straight to an artery. And it's easier access than getting an IV, but it's essentially IV drug therapy that is going through your body and killing those rapid growing cells um, and having them stop in their place. I underwent chemotherapy first to stop all the cancer from growing. 
And then their next step was, okay, we need to remove my breasts to take away all of that tissue. And thankfully, after chemotherapy, they said I had had uh, a complete um, a complete pathological response to the chemotherapy. So there was no more cancer cells that they could see when they took my breasts away after surgery. And that's huge. They took out 10 lymph nodes under my right arm. And then the last step is radiation. And radiation is like sterilizing the skin. And because I had that complete pathological response, now radiation is just like the double checking step of my cancer journey to make sure that now all of the potential tiniest cells that could still be there and not show up on a scan or something are sterilized and killed. And so that's why chemotherapy for me came first, where if I had had a lump that they were able to radiate immediately, uh, that kind of comes hand in hand. But for me, it came last because the other ones were to stop the cancer as fast as possible. And now I'm kind of going through like a skin sterilization to make sure that any possible cancer is gone. I feel like you already are um, hinting at a message here for us. You've said twice now you've waited eight months. Yeah, I think this is what... I don't know if it's just mountain people, but those of us who spend a lot of time doing relatively dangerous things, maybe we're not the best at paying attention to signals. Is this, what's your experience with this? That's a great question. I have been a huge advocate of our bodies and awareness, and I'm a healthy eater. I'm a very active person. I also have been an ambassador with Boarding for Breast Cancer for a decade, over a decade. So I'm really aware of the necessity to check ourselves. And as a mountain person, I think I've always dealt with injuries and I'm like stronger than my injuries. I can come back. I have a mental game that's like top notch. And so I was relating this lump in my breast to an injury that had been around for a long time. And I never equated it to something that was physically possibly cancer. I mean, Another caveat is I actually lost both of my parents to cancer. So it's not like I'm naive um, to cancer being part of my life or potentially getting it. But I thought I had adverted enough of those factors from my life. I I never thought that cancer was going to be part of my story. And so I just had the blinders on. And I think that that was a really great thing in hindsight, because now I can be an advocate for so many more people. Like it doesn't matter who you are. Cancer can come to you and kind of wreak havoc on your life. So if you feel things that are strange or you just feel like something's not right, don't hesitate, go to the doctor, rule it out. And if it's not ruling it out, at least you're ahead of it because I kind of waited too long. Mm -hmm. My confession is in this was 2017. I had a bad backcountry accident, bad. And some friends I was with called an ambulance and I was livid. I was so mad at them. I was also super bad. I'd been knocked out. I was super badly concussed. So I'd like to think that let's blame that on the concussion for me being so mad at my very good friends. But um, got checked out by the EMTs, waved them off. They said like, we can't make you come with us to the hospital. And I was like, I'm fine. 
I didn't go to the hospital for another five days and had badly broken my neck. So this, like what they called radical cervical instability. And for five days, I was like, well, I walked off the mountain, so I think I'm fine. So I say all that just because I do actually think people listening to this, we get some degree of like bumps or bruises almost every day out when we do what we do riding, you know, on snow or riding up mountain bikes, etc. Maybe to be fair to me and you, like if we responded or ran to the hospital every time something fell off, that wouldn't quite work with what we do. So is there something smarter here to say as a rule or a recommendation for like maybe what we think is okay to kind of blow off and maybe when we absolutely don't? Gosh, I wish I actually knew the answer to that because this whole process has really just exposed how fast things can change. And like I had said initially, like I was breastfeeding, women's breasts change dramatically through breastfeeding and they become lumpy and change their texture, you know, the density. And so I just was equating this mass to that, that cycle of life Instead of saying, you know what, this has actually been there and it's really hard. Uh, I think the ultimate thing is just checking yourself. And I, if I would have compared my left to my right and really thought about it, my right was drastically different. And that for me was like, hello, I should have gone in. But also, Chris Van Chetler, who's my husband, uh when I was raising concern with him and I had felt like a, a pea-sized rock-hard nodule in my lymph node, like, or my armpit, he was like, you need to call the doctor. And his alarm really made me go, oh my gosh. And he was like, we just need to rule it out. So I guess the other message of this is if all of our partners knew how to also check themselves we would be a lot more aware of each other's bodies and it would help all of us be able to have that heightened meter for when something doesn't feel right. That's a great point. Yeah. Like communicate some of this stuff to other people. Since if we tend to have that ability of like, it's fine, I I will overcome whatever latest injury I have, articulating this to other people and making them be like, hey, nope, we're going to go get this looked at. Yeah. And, and in my case specifically with breast cancer, it's like breasts are so intimate and they're always like behind a t-shirt, you know, and, uh, you only see them behind closed doors if you have a partner or if you're checking yourself. And so for me, I guess, normalizing that your partner should be able to feel your breasts and see if there's irregularities and they should feel themselves too, because this doesn't just happen to women. It's more rare for men to get breast cancer, but it's still out there. And so that, that was a huge thing for me. It's just like trying to normalize like that breasts, we need to check them. Women, we need to check them. Men, if you have a partner, uh, you need to check theirs too, because they might not notice something or you might become more aware of that irregularity. And with anything, right, we have an injury and, you know, like you're saying, like you didn't go to the hospital for five days and you had a severe break in your neck. Being aware of how damaging these injuries can be if we don't follow up on them and having that intuitive sense of like, what's what's the line that you're going to draw of how far is too far to push your body 
to live these passions. You know, I didn't want to disrupt our life. I was like, ah, this isn't something that I'm going to worry about because I don't want to deal with the inconvenience of going to the doctor. Just in case there's anyone listening to this who's like, well, yeah, but you know, I mean, I'm a real athlete and I really live healthfully and the like. I think this is the part where we should, you know, go back and sort of just talk a little bit more about your particular story and maybe disabuse a few people who, again, for all kinds of reasons, maybe for the convenience excuse that you were just talking about. Let's, um, let's see if we can disabuse a few people of this. So if we back up, to the beginning of your story, let's start a bit about where you grew up and when you first made this uh, jump into snowboarding. So I grew up in Truckee, California, and I was born and raised there. And I was always uh, really excited about being outside. I was really athletic. I tried to do all the sports. I had a really uh, passionate mom who loved the mountains. She was a ski bum and a nurse and really successful, but she just instilled in me this passion for the outdoors. And I moved from Trekkie when I graduated high school to Mammoth, Mammoth Lakes, California. And Mammoth Mountain at that time was the Mecca, similar to now. It's just this Mecca for terrain parks and amazing uh, terrain that you can ride in all different types of conditions. And it was a big mountain. And I was able to go to community college there and still pursue my snowboarding career as a waitress too, you know, like doing all the things when you're out of high school. And um, it just really ignited this fire in me. I loved hitting big park jumps and the terrain park at Mammoth was so stellar, still is like just huge jumps that are perfect. And that transpired into a backcountry career. And I just, I never did well in contest because I just would choke when I would get to finals. And then one of my team managers at one point said, you know what, why don't you try the backcountry? And I had already started filming in the backcountry. And like I said, Chris Ben Chetler was already filming. We started dating when we were teenagers. So we had already kind of really started running this parallel life. And him being a backcountry skier really helped me and nurture my side of my career because he was able to bring me kind of under his wing and with his Nimbus crew out into the mountains and show me that whole world. And not many women get that opportunity. You know, it takes a lot of experience and crews need to trust their partners. And uh, I I just really found a niche there in the mountains. Yeah. And... What year, year-ish is this? And you and Chris are about how old when you guys are meeting and starting to go out into the backcountry together? So I moved to Mammoth in 2002 and I met Chris in 2003. And at that point we were, I was 19 and he was 17. And we started dating and he scooped ice cream at a local ice cream shop and I was a waitress. Uh, yet we were both pursuing like these careers. He was still really into terrain park and riding, but he was able to start filming in the backcountry almost immediately in his career where that's not necessarily the most common avenue for women because we tend to have to prove ourselves in contests before we graduate to that avenue. Uh, and thankfully I had kind of a whole a collective of sponsors that supported my transition. 10 years into my relationship with Chris is when I transitioned into backcountry. Can you say just a bit more about that? I mean, surveying 
like the state of snowboarding, let's say, I guess in that, well, I don't know how broad we want to go, 2002 to 2012 range versus say 2012 to today, right? In those two different decades, talk just a little bit about how you've seen the evolution of the sport and what you think of it. How are we doing? I think our industries, like the snow sport industries, have really started welcoming so many more people in. Um, in the early 2000s, it was so, especially in snowboarding, we had a really like party heavy industry. Uh, we were the rebels, you know, not all the resorts let us in. So it was kind of fighting for our place. There was still some animosity between skiing and snowboarding. And I feel like in this last decade, we've had this kind of growth together where we see that we're ex- we're able to experience the mountains together. Uh, we're more respectful. We're more passionate. It's a collective effort. Um, and being able to welcome as many families into the industry, making more kids products, uh, showing kids that they can learn how to snowboard um, at a really young age, I think has been awesome. You know, seeing ski school and snowboarding school welcome kids like three to four years old. I think that is so, so wonderful for the sport because it's really just allowing people to choose what they want to do as a family from the beginning where when I grew up, it was like, I had to start skiing before I could go snowboarding because I mean, even my snowboard was like way too big for me. They didn't have boots because it was such an early side of the sport where now it's like, you can get kids really set up really uncomfortable stuff from an early age. Man, it's such a bizarro world. I forget about it a lot, like the old kind of animosity or stupid, like, why do we care? Literally, why do we care how you choose to slide down snow? Of all the things on earth we could be mad about and fight about, that's got to be the stupidest thing. Yeah. And you know what I've learned over the last five years Chris and I have had, we've had wonderful careers, but we've also on a personal side, we've dealt with a lot of um, big things. Like I lost my mom to cancer. Our now four-year-old had kidney failure. Like we now have cancer. Um, So I guess what I've learned through that is how healing nature can be and how spending time in nature as a family, uh, it really can revitalize you. And so I think the ultimate goal too with getting your family out into the mountains now should be how can we, how can we really embrace the mountains or nature going on a walk outside uh, for our well being? And when you see families up on the mountain and it's either snowing or bluebird, whatever conditions they want to go out there and like the smiles on their faces, like, wow, I, I really see the connection where people have come together and say, it doesn't really matter anymore what you're doing as long as you're out there and uh, experiencing it together. Couldn't agree more. And I have been having in the last 72 hours, so many conversations exactly along these lines with a couple of different friends and, and people in my kind of network. But on the one hand, I think in snow sports, we, you know, we've sort of seen like, oh, look, more and more people are buying icon passes or epic passes or whatever. There's more and more people uh, who, you know, Probably because of the pandemic, there was a prompt like, well, we can't really meet inside together anymore, so let's get outside. But obviously, we all hear these trends about, you know, among young people where 
there are phones and there are video games and there is also a thing that I think we are dealing with, which is a whole maybe generation of people who are finding less reason to go outside. And I've just think been thinking a lot more about that. Like we need to be thinking hard and well about how to encourage and inspire more and more people to just continue to get outside into nature, even if that's not mountains, right? And I think that's something where I'd sure like to think as a community, outdoor community, we all are like, this is a positive. And maybe this is something like a core belief or principle among all of us. And if that's true, then going back to this idea of, I don't like the way you slide down snow. We're so far off the mark of what matters truly. I don't know. Does that resonate? Yeah, 100%. I'm I'm working some of this out myself. So thank you for hearing that. But yeah, 100%. I mean, I just think that there there still can be um, like we all are different humans. We all have different beliefs. And especially in the society and the stage that we're in um, currently, like post pandemic, we've all been through a lot. And our mental state and our anxiety, our depression, um, kids, uh, suicide, all of it, you know, it's like we need to be aware that there's something bigger out there that we can do for ourselves. So even if you do love gaming or technology or whatever it is, taking a break from it and realizing like it's known to cause these things and anxiety and the comparison, you know, it's like it's heightened all of that within us. So the second Personally, for me, when I take a break and I go out into the mountains or I go to the beach and I go on a walk or just on a walk around my neighborhood and take some deep intentional breaths where I focus on being in the moment and I hear the birds chirping, I see the flowers on the trees, I stop to smell of whatever, you stop to smell a flower. It's like it just brings you back to the slower pace of life instead of being in the fast lane all the time and planning and connection and worrying about who's texting you immediately, I'm guilty of it. It's so hard to disconnect. But as soon as you do, it makes you appreciate those slower moments a lot more. And through this diagnosis, I've really had to put the brakes on in so many ways because I didn't choose this. You know, it was chosen for me. And the thing I'm learning the most is really how to deal with that. Like, instead of asking the why, why did this happen to me? It's like, okay, what am I supposed to learn and grow from through this experience? And how can I use my voice to help other people who may be going through the very same thing? And so, yeah, I think slowing down, taking a minute and just like prioritizing self-care and nature can really be that, that for so many of us. Mm -hmm. Maybe a related question I was wondering, with your diagnosis, would you say that this has caused a shift in your priorities or looking at what you were most involved in and doing right prior to the news? Has this instead just reinforced priorities? You just spoke to this a little bit, I think, but like, I was curious if you're kind of doubling down on the same stuff you were invested in, or if this is actually, because I think there's frankly something that the rest of us might be able to learn from whatever your answer is here. I, I was so lucky to grow up in the mountains and I was so lucky to create a career. And I guess lucky isn't even the right word because I was really passionate 
about making this lifestyle my career. I love being outside. I love using my body. I love progression. And being at that stage of life when I was coming into having my family, like I won writer of the year and I, I was at the peak of my career kind of, you know, five years ago when I had a lot of things kind of shift uh, my perspective of what was important. I didn't lose my interest from the mountains. I, it's reignited them in a way that's more intentional being taken away from the mountains and away from all that free time that I had because of this diagnosis has made me so much more excited to be out there with intention, you know, like get things done and make things happen. And I'm a lot more motivated uh, than before. And it's not that I wasn't motivated. It's just that when you're kind of stripped of all the things that you love, you learn how important they are. And I, I'm at a stage now where I'm like really excited to be able to get back into living kind of in that fast lane again, where I can plan trips and I can go on vacations and I can be with my family in the mountains and not worry about my next doctor's appointment. But then when I get ahead of myself, I'm like, okay, you need to slow down again because those expectations can kind of set us up for letdown. And so I think it's like that, that pace of trying to figure out, um, really being present and not getting too far ahead of myself and, and not to stray too far from your question, but it's like, I found that ultimately where I'm at, um, as an athlete versus where I'm at in this recovery, it's side by side. I've, I've learned so much from being in the mountains and standing at the top of the highest Alaskan peaks, getting ready to drop into those scariest lines. And now being in this stage of the recovery, it's like, I'm almost to that peak and I can see that I'm, I can almost strap in, but I'm, I don't want to rush it. So I don't know if that really answers your questions. It's a roundabout way of trying to explain how I feel. Yeah. Well, two things, I think from what you said, I mean, one, you said, Hey folks, be present. Don't forget to be present. And it seems to me hearing, hearing what you said, a uh, related thing would be, do not fail to be grateful right? Like when, cause we do that, right? Those of us who are fortunate enough to get to spend a lot of time in mountains and the like, I do think we all ought to really develop that gratitude muscle every day out, whether we would call it an epic ride or epic conditions or whatever, don't care. Be extremely grateful, um, present and grateful, right? For those moments. That's something that I kind of hear from what you just said. Yeah. And I also don't want to sugarcoat it. Like I lived a very full life prior to this diagnosis and I got to do a lot of amazing things that most people might not experience in their lifetime. And so when I was diagnosed, I was like, really? Like I have to pump the brakes. And I, I thought I lived so healthfully that this wouldn't happen to me. And it made me angry, really. It made me feel stripped of something. And there's a, there's like this evil voice inside me. That's like, everybody's saying you should be grateful, like that you get to live um, now because I am, I do have a, I'm free of cancer at the moment, but you're still like, but why did this happen? If I was going to be at this state, 
and all of that. I had to go through all of that. But then I, I try to listen to that voice and acknowledge it and just um, realize how much deeper my gratitude is now because I did take a lot of those days for granted. And when we don't get to, when we're pulled away from something we love so drastically uh, since November. So like this past season, I was really removed from the, the things I loved so much. It just now makes me go, okay, so you're still allowed to have all those feelings. Like you can still be tired or lethargic or uh, unmotivated, you know, but the, the days that you do go out with intention, ah, those days are the ones to be extremely grateful for because those are the ones that when you plug into your power source, you are recharged. And that feeling is like nothing else. So thinking about the anger part, which seems extremely understandable, I wonder what there is to say, like, again, perfectly understandable. You're like, I am killing it in my career. I'm fortunate enough to be in a, you know, wonderful partnership. You know, things are happening. Life is happening at a high level. And I, by the way, am doing the right things to, this isn't just luck. Like I'm living a healthful life and the rest. So it seems like, you know, other than it's just like, yeah, life doesn't care right? Like life doesn't care what you're doing or not. Like here comes the curveball, and it's coming for all of us, right? In different respects, whether it's on the relationship side or the health side, it's like, it's coming. I want to bounce this off you. I've talked about this a little bit before on some, in some podcast conversations, but something that I actually came to after that backcountry incident I mentioned was this little mantra that I still find to be quite helpful Everything is an opportunity. So like the curveballs are coming. Things we don't want to have happen to us are coming for all of us. And I don't know that this addresses the sort of very understandable anger piece. But I feel like what I am trying to do these days is when it comes and I do not like it and I get angry as hell, right? I try to then move as quickly as I can into how do I use this circumstance? What do I learn here? You know, what is the opportunity present? And I say that while fighting back the anger, right? I don't know. Thoughts on that? Because I I think the anger, like I said, is completely understandable. I certainly don't want to be here and be like, oh, wow, you were angry. That um, you should really work on that, you know? I think we need to feel that stuff, but also it seems like life is going to go better if we figure out how to then move either past it or through it or with it. I don't know. What's your experience been like? I agree completely. I have learned so much about my own mental strength and my own weaknesses, really. And I I have found that the best way for myself to move through these moments of anger is like, I still have them. I cry, I get frustrated. And then I'm like, okay, if I'm feeling like this, the amount of other women or people who have gone through this situation that are probably feeling this exact same way, maybe there's a way that me sharing my story publicly and letting people know it's okay to feel this way or not giving anybody permission to feel they can feel however they want, but showing that I'm feeling this way will help them realize that they're not alone. And 
that has been a huge impact for me because me sharing my story is somewhat selfish as well, because it actually brings healing to me. The amount of people that send me direct messages or share their experience or show their support shows me for one, I'm not alone. For two, other people have gone through this and survived. And if they haven't survived, they have partners who have been so moved by my story and are now being ambassadors for change. You know, um, the fact that breast cancer now has so much funding and so much support is huge. You know, there's other cancers out there that we should be making bigger awareness about as well, because all that research is why my life has been saved. And so uh, just spreading more awareness about my story and other people's stories can really elevate other people's awareness to check themselves and then also validating feelings and emotions that this process can bring up. And that for me has been like number one, because it's hard, but it's not as hard because I know I'm supported and I know I'm loved and I know other people have made it through this. How are you feeling today? Energy levels, strength levels, and I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about what this, you know, the undulations of this, what's this been like for the last couple of years? Today, I'm actually doing really good. I'm like full of energy. I have a big smile. Um, I am really lucky my family's with me in Oceanside. We're down here together. So we get to go through this process together. We're trying to make it a fun summer, not just of mom's doctor's appointments, but like new experiences, going to Legoland, all the things, you know, kid friendly. Um, I have a, I have a 15 month old and a four year old. So it's like the little stages of like going to the beach brings joy. And then the peaks and valleys of this process is really, it's a huge roller coaster. Because some days you're doing super well. And then if I set expectations too high going into a doctor's appointment and then things get delayed, I'm like a mess. Uh, So it's really just keeping myself in check, not getting too far ahead of myself. And one thing that I've really been working on is everybody's like, oh my gosh, you're almost to the end. Like radiation's the last step. And I try to keep reeling it in that it's not over. I have a friend that's 10 years deep in this. She finally has clear scans, but I have checkups every four months following my radiation. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to be under like close watch for the next five years. I won't have breasts. Like I had a double mastectomy. So I I'll be living flat chested for at least five years, probably not getting reconstruction. So I'm still adapting to like life, but trying to appreciate the time that I am having and the life that I do have and that I am healthy and well, not no more in chemo, taking it day by day, but also um, celebrating the little victories. Mm -hmm. But, but specifically, I mean, you're a high level athlete. Our energy levels, are you like, I'm not close on the day to day level to, you know, where I was and where I intend to get back to like, help, help me understand that strength and or energy levels. I haven't really done anything physical since the end of November. I was having drastic weight losses um, after every chemo session, like 10 pound weight losses that I was like yo-yoing because I had a lack of appetite, a lack of uh, desire for water. I was just a mess. Um, Horrible bouts of diarrhea, not to be too informative, but it's a reality and it wrecked havoc on my body. And so now I'm... Um, I'm still pretty thin and I'm still not working out. I'm just starting to go back to my physical therapist. And so I have a long way to go to get back to where I need to be to feel like I could go conquer big mountains again. 
my mental game, I feel like is pretty good because I've been able to harness myself in this present space of time without completely losing my mind. And so I have had a lot of time to visualize my goals and things that I want to achieve and where I want to be and how I want to spend time with my family. So mental, I feel great. I feel like I do go through huge undulations and I'm not great every day, but I recognize it. I acknowledge it and then try to move past it and know that it's just a season. Like everything's temporary and this stage of life is going to be temporary. And hopefully by November, I'm back on the mountain and this is just a blip of time. Um, health wise, body wise, I I'm excited to be able to get back on my snowboard. Chris actually, after my last chemo treatment took me to bald face lodge up in Nelson, BC surprised me him and Burton, um, Donna Carpenter, like surprised me with this trip of a lifetime, brought my kids. We got to go as a family up to bald face. And I really thought I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to snowboard like maybe half day, you know, got on my snowboard all I had been doing was like groomers prior to going up there. And it was like maybe five runs at a time, a couple, a couple days a month. So I was really not riding that much. And I get to bald face strap in 9am to three, three days in a row. Wasn't tired. Wasn't feeling all my side effects, which it should have been horrible that week. Like my side effects should have been really bad, but that really showed me like how strong I was because I hadn't really done anything, but I, now that I was in the place that I wanted to be, you know, I was reconnected to my passion. I felt like superwoman. I felt like I could do anything and I didn't care what the ramifications were going to be after that three day section of time. Like I could have slept for three months after that. And I didn't care because I was just so re-energized by being back in the mountains. And I was like able to hit little jumps and I was able to just keep up and I wasn't expecting that. And so that really showed me like I'm way stronger than I thought I was. And for me, fortunately, like my body really reacted well to being back on a snowboard. And I know that might not be the case for everybody, but that's what my body needed. It was almost like the medicine my body was asking for was being back on my snowboard and back in the mountains. And it, it set the pace for the rest of my recovery because going into surgery, I was like, okay, you got this. Like you did that. And now you're already staged for a higher performance when you come out of surgery, because you know what you were able to do after chemo. That's great. That's really cool. I like that story. You've mentioned there's been an accompanying body transformation with this process What would be helpful for those of us to know about that? Have you found that to be harder than you would have previously thought? Easier, just absolutely different than you maybe would have imagined? When I was first diagnosed, I I had already kind of compartmentalized this process in my head that my body was going to go through this huge transformation. But like the spirit within my body was going to be the one that I knew to stand on top of the mountains and like have the courage to drop in. And I kind of viewed them as two separate things. Like your body can go through so much, but your body heals. You know, our bodies are so resilient and they can heal from injuries. They, they, that's what they're designed to do. They're designed to heal. And I just tried to separate the two and go, okay, like you are not going to look the same. You're going to go through this huge transformation, but that doesn't matter because what's inside is really what matters. And that 
that courage, you know, that power to persevere, that power to make it through, that power to overcome is in me. You know, I've overcome a lot of things and I just tried to hold tight to that feeling of like, okay, well, you can do this. And so initially when they told me I was going to lose my hair, I was going to try to figure out a way to save my hair so it didn't fall out going into chemo. My doctor was like, by, by treatment too, your hair is going to start falling out regardless. And I had this revelation where I was like, okay, if I can let go of it and spend less energy trying to save something and just accept not having hair, maybe I can make this a lesson. So Chris and I decided to shave our heads and donate our hair to Locks of Love and have our children witness this choice. I made a choice to let go of that first thing, the first step really for me of the transformation. And it was so liberating to shave my head alongside Chris. I have such an amazing partner. He's been so supportive and has really like nurtured me, but also been my rock during these huge stages. But having us do it together and showing our sons, like this was a choice and it's okay. Like I don't need to have hair to identify as who I was, you know, I'm still Kimmy and I can be Kimmy with no hair. And so I, I, that was like my first step. And then knowing that I was going into surgery, I, it was so emotional leading up to it. Um, thankfully I was able to breastfeed both my kids. So they had done their job and I, I, I could let go of that idea, but being a woman and having kind of your hair and your boobs be like that identity source, it's very strange to cut off something that is such a visual part of a female. And I was a mess for a couple of weeks leading up to surgery. And I just felt really alone, even though I wasn't, I know so many people go through this, but we don't talk about boobs enough to make me feel like it was okay not to have them because everybody says, Oh, well you can get reconstruction or when are you getting reconstruction? So it's still like this idea that you have to have them. And for me, I knew that wasn't something that was possible um, right away and maybe not ever. So knowing that like, all right, like I'm cutting them off and then I'm never going to have them again. Like that's so weird. But it was also a very liberating stage for me to wake up from surgery and have those emotions dissipated. I had really found like, I felt so much more free knowing the emotions were gone because I was able to be okay with myself. And I know a lot of women have said like they didn't look in the mirror for weeks. And for me, I was like, you know what? I feel like I should share this stage because I know how emotional it was and yet I feel okay now. And so being able to share my journey on Instagram and sharing very raw photos of what this process looked like, I hope helps to normalize this process for more women to know it's okay. And it's not necessarily pretty, but it's my body and it's okay. And being okay in our bodies with whatever differences we have and like accepting ourselves and loving ourselves and still looking in the mirror and thinking that I'm beautiful for who I am on the inside and for what my body's been through. And it's amazing ability to um, do these incredible things that it's taken me a whole lifetime to learn. That's fantastic. And hearing you talk about the sort of superficial things that we do as a society and that are reinforced every single day, multiple times a day. It's very powerful. It makes me think too, like every single religious tradition and philosophical tradition, they 100% 
beg us to not make the the superficial mistakes, to start weighting the superficial, right? It's all about maintaining the importance of the spirit and the person and the character of a person, not a message that, um, at least in modern American society, we tend to reinforce, uh, let's say, very frequently. And so I think that your willingness to share precisely on those channels, some of those channels that are at times maybe some of the worst offenders for reinforcing this superficiality, that's been super powerful. Well, thank you. And may I ask, I mean, I don't know if how much you sort of formulated or came to these realizations, these principles, once you were in the thick of your current experience, or if there were important things that you had read or studied, you know, however far back in time that you were drawing on coming into this? My life has, I've had a lot of curveballs thrown at me from a very early age and thank the universe or the gods or whatever it is that I've been able to find a lighted path. Um, I, I say the sunshine lights my way a lot of the time. Instead of focusing on all the shadows and the things that have happened, it's like, okay, how can I make this something that has a, a more positive outlook? Um, I've been able to look to that lighter side. And I've read books through injuries, let's say. Um, I've read books. I've, I was into a lot of self, self-help books when I was competing, trying to figure out how I could get a more focused mind. I read a lot of books on visualization. Um, so collectively just really learning how powerful our minds are. And then in a totally different way, my children have brought so much clarity to my traumas and how I'm triggered as an adult and seeing like these pure little beings grow and evolve and seeing my reactions to situations and then seeing how they receive those reactions. Um, it really makes me such a more humble human because as I'm going through this, I'm also having to teach my children how to go through this and everything that I've dealt with through life, no matter how hard or how fun, you know, it's like, I'm relating those experiences. It's like, I have a huge toolbox and like, you have to dig really deep sometimes to find the tools you need. But those tools of reading those books, those visualizations, the visualizations or standing on top of mountains, like really trying to conquer that quest of fear versus calculated mitigation of risk, um, have given me the tools that I have now to look at this face to face and go, okay, like, how can you get through this with the things that you've dealt with in the mountains and through life and not looking at it as like a poor me, but instead, okay, I can get through this. And this is just another mountain to climb. And I think I said that like initially when I was diagnosed, like it's going to be a long climb, but I know I can get through it because I have the tools and I've learned that I'm gaining more tools along the way and really watching my kids and seeing their reaction and watching myself have to navigate this road with them and allowing them to see my emotion and graduate together through each stage and through each season has shown a totally different light than I was expecting. Um, and just having to be more open, you know, I have to talk about my feelings a lot more with my children and, uh, I'm choosing to do that publicly as well, because I, I find that it is raising a lot more awareness 
that we are all okay in whatever state we are and that there is light at the end of the tunnel. I don't want to keep you too much longer. What I do want to do is maybe ask maybe to have you recap a little bit of some of the things you've shared here, or if there's something else you have yet to say, but you know, sort of the question of what should we know, right? To the, this outdoor community listening to this, those of us who aren't in your shoes right now, what would you most like us to know? What do we most need to learn from your perspective? I think all outdoor enthusiasts can relate that we like a challenge. You know, we are put to the test with the idea of goals or accomplishing these mountain adventures or nature quests, if you will. And the thing that I, I think is the most important is, first of all, knowing that cancer can happen to any of us. And that's not to raise fear, but it's just to say, no matter who we are, be aware of ourselves, be aware of our bodies, know that it's okay to go in and get checked or uh, follow up with the doctor if you have any questions. And secondly, being passionate and spreading that passion and lifting others up through whatever challenges they're going through is really important because if I didn't have the support system that I did, this would be a whole different story. So knowing that we collectively as a community share similar interests and no matter who is out there experiencing nature with us, like let's share it collectively in a way that helps elevate everybody's voice and really spread positivity across the whole uh, industry and help bring other people in. Because what we have in this industry is such a, a wild connection to the outdoors that's so healthy. And the more we can show how wonderful it is for our spirits to live in that space, uh, hopefully the more people we can bring into it and help affect their lives in a positive way. Last question. For those of us listening to this and listening to you, what could we do that would be most helpful for you and your family? Thankfully, we have so many resources. Uh, we are in the process of starting a nonprofit foundation. And I think when that announcement happens, it will be a way for our community to come together to support another avenue to uh, help people who have gone through similar situations and um, bring them closer to nature. And so just stay tuned for that one. But in the current state, I just hope that we can all get out in the mountains and explore those peaceful places. And just even if it's five minutes a day, you know, take some time for yourself because that time is so important to self-healing. Well, when it comes time for the announcement about the nonprofit, be in touch. We'd love to do whatever we can to help amplify that. That's really cool. You've said it multiple times in this conversation, but like using this and the experience that you and your family are currently going through and figuring out how that can then, you can use that to sort of help others who have been or may in the future experience something similar. That seems like a um, very generous and very productive way to, to use your current situation. So very cool. But maybe I will ask, I mean, if there are any 
more details or things that you might be able to say about where you're headed with this, the floor is yours. So this is like a sneak preview for everybody, but the foundation that we've started is called the Ben Chetler Fasani Foundation, BFF. And what we are hoping to design is this connection to nature for people who have been through hardship or loss to reignite that passion for the outdoors or reconnect you to these places of passion that maybe you haven't been to recently, um, or just trying to provide healing elements for you or your family to get back out into the spaces that provide the most safe space or clarity within your mind. And we're really excited because there's so many amazing things that are on the horizon for how we can use this to help other people. So yeah, this is your sneak peek into what we're building. It's fantastic. Well, Kimmy, thank you. This has been a pleasure. I I have been watching your story from afar and uh, I appreciate your willingness to, to come on once again and, and talk to me and share your story, your experiences um, with our community. And uh, yeah, you are an easy person to root for. Your family is an easy family to root for. And so we are wishing you all the best, both in terms of your own physical health, but also in terms of what you're working on in terms of nonprofits. And I will confess, I am really looking forward for you having more outstanding days in the mountains. Thank you so much. And thanks for being such a big supporter and so encouraging. Hmm. Thanks, Kimmy. Thank you. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to thank Kimmy for the terrific conversation. I want to say thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And from the entire Blister team, I want to say please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon. <laughs>